This is the Chi Chat Podcast with, with Chiquita Searle. So hopefully you are all now in the mood for our next instalment of our favourite dating segment, The Unhinged on Hinge. And into the introduction of today's dating and relationship coach, Emma Wynn. So Emma, who I mentioned earlier, you might actually remember from the reality TV dating series, which aired on both Channel 7 and Netflix called The Single Wives. Now, I'm a reality TV nut and anything love, dating, relationship related, I'm all over it. So I'm so excited to have Emma in studio with us because she is going to be sharing her story. So welcome, Emma, and thank you so much for your time today. Hello, gorgeous. Thank you for having me. You know, this is like so nostalgic for me because I used to work on radio and I haven't been in a radio studio for like three years at least. So I'm lo- I do miss it. I'm loving this. I feel like I'm at home. You've come back. You've <laughs> yes. come back. So I always like to, because um, you transformed your life, because I remember when you were on The Single Wives and uh, I think because you used to be a social worker essentially before you went into That's radio, right, yeah. um, but you've transformed your life. So I, I always like to explore our the story of our relationship experts purely because I think it's always fascinating and yours in particular I'm intrigued by. So tell us how you came to be a men's and women's vulnerability coach. Well, my time on The Single Wives did have a lot to do with it because of the transformation that I had with Matthew Hussey being my coach for five weeks one-on-one, which was incredibly intense, (laughs) but I feel so privileged to have had it. Um, But my story really starts at the age of 20 when I got married. I've always had a real interest in behaviour and why we do what we do. Like, what is it that causes people to live the lives they live or make the mistakes that they might make or have the success that they have? So I started that journey as a social worker working with at-risk youth um, in terms of a lot of like trauma, like the biology of neurobiology of trauma and crime and things like that, you know, why these kids, they all had complex trauma histories and they all had then, you know, there was a lot of addiction, a lot of, you know, high crime rates, that sort of thing. Um, And then I realised that I don't really work so well in structures. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a free spirit. Uh, So the structure of social work and that sort of social welfare field didn't really feel authentic to who I was. So I took a, a couple of years break and I just was an, I was nannying for two years to think, like, feel into what is it that I feel called to really do on this planet. And I always knew it had something to do with people and relationships, but I wasn't sure how to channel that. And then um, The Single Wives happened. And so how did that happen? How did you come to be aware of the show? Uh, I was actually on the couch writing a, my, a speech for my dad's wedding and I divorced. So part of that, it's so hard when, the, the, like, what's your story? Because there's so many different <laughs> elements. But I was married at 20 mm. and divorced at, at 25. Um, I grew up in the Christian church, hence getting married so young. And so I was, you know, 26 or something, you know, writing a speech for my dad's wedding with the glass of wine or a bottle of wine and thinking, wow, this is in reverse. Like, like My dad's falling in love, getting married at 60 and here I am divorced at 27 and a casting call came on Channel 7 um, for The Single Wives and it was this sort of, you know, have you lost this great love in your life and are you ready to search again or, you know, find love again? And I thought, oh, that sounds fun. So I just applied, forgot about the um, application, like only did half of it and the producers contacted me the week later. I'd completely forgotten about it and said, oh, we love what you've done so 
far can you finish? And before I knew it, within six weeks, I was on a plane to Sydney. So this was in 2017. Mm, so it happened quite quickly then from point of which you half completed your application. That's they right. called you six weeks later. You're in Sydney at yeah. a very nice mansion on the, oh, the harbour. Oh, in Mossman. recollection. Oh, my goodness. The girls and I were just – and we I lived there. We lived we, – that was – How long know, did it feel for? How long it, were you I, From there memory, for? it was six weeks, five or six weeks. Did yeah. you have your own bathrooms? Mm, so we and had, it was a beautiful pool. Oh, my gosh. There's a pool, the balcony, the kitchen. The whole thing was just – it was three stories. We all had our own en suites, had our own little set. It was like we had our own little wings. You know, bel- each had a balcony. Mm. It was quite – Incredible, really. Like so, do you remember itself. walking into the house and meeting the other women? Did yeah, they film all that? that was what all, was it like? That was all filmed. So, you know, they fly us up on, say, let's just say the Tuesday and they put you up in a hotel and you've got these crazy things that, like, people are bringing you lunch and people are, <laughs> like, the, you know, your producers have booked you in for spray tans and for your hair and makeup and oh, it's just like, wow, this is a whole new world. And then the next day, you know, we drive to the house. I remember being in the house with um, one of the runners who had, sorry, being in the car with one of the runners who had picked me up from the hotel to drive me to the house first day of filming all dolled up feeling like amazing and so nervous and there was just this production crew there were just people everywhere cameras big boom mics lighting the whole lot just thinking wow this is actually happening and the moment that the girls and I met was uh, it was on, it was episode one and that was first take so walking into the house for the first time meeting the girls all on camera had no idea how many other women there would be didn't know a lot about it intense but so exciting there's such a thrill about the unknown. What was your first impression of the other women? Because it was Sheridan, Sunny and Nikki. Nikki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just beautiful. I knew from the moment that we were chatting on the balcony there within the first 15 minutes of meeting each other that this was going to be a show that was really wholesome and mm. it was very much going to be about the sisterhood and it was very much focused on our stories and the transformation that comes from heartache. So, and we just hit it off. It was very, it felt very sex in the city. You know, the four girls just, you know, cheering each other on, loving on each other and we just naturally got on really well from the get-go. And so did you, so what was the outcome from the show? You all went on different dates and I think there were a couple who left the show with partners and mm. um, oh, I can't re- remember exactly, but did anyone date post-show? Were this relationship successful? What happened uh, for everyone? So, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen it, tune out. You know what's really funny is all the four men that we all ended up with on the show have settled down. <gasps> one's had a baby, one's getting married, one's built a business with a new girlfriend. They're all like, one's living with his girlfriend and us four women, we're all single. Really? Yeah, it's wild. We always laugh about this. So we all ended up with someone at the end of the show and I think Sheridan and Dan were probably the longest. Um, they stayed together maybe six months after. Because they were all loved up at the, they were the, so fi- loved the, up. And fi- the finale. finale yeah. yeah, they were together from the start. Mm. Um, Nikki and Kyle were together from the start too. Yes. They they kept on for a little while and they're still in touch. That You know, just be- two beautiful people. Um, but no, yeah, we're all, we're all very single. So what was your biggest <laughs> takeaway from the experience? Oh, mine was definitely around vulnerability. Mm. So Matthew Hussey really just saw into my soul in on that first those first couple of days and um, really challenged me on my ability to talk. And because we did, I remember you were the bubbly, vivacious one who was very chatty mm. and very uh, personable, and you were able to build really good rapport with people. But the he didn't like that. He thought yes. you were talking too much. Essentially, right. didn't he? Yes, yes. And he said, I remember he said to me people can't connect with you and I wanted to punch him <laughs> I was like <laughs> I remember the phase that moment I was, like, yeah, oh. I was so mad so mad uh, but he said people can't connect with you he said you're so warm you've got a really warm presence about you you're confident you're chatty you could talk to anyone but people can't connect and what did he mean by that exactly people can't connect I, I think what, since the work I've done on myself 
post the show so much inner work and continued transformation and healing so much healing um, I had my walls up yeah. so I was really good I, and he said to me you've gotten away with your whole life being able to talk be confident be funny you know just you've just sailed through life like that and you've been positively affirmed for it so you haven't had to really remove those you know masculine shields that allow someone to actually see who you truly authentically are so do you think you use some of your humor to deflect and Absolutely. so to, to not let people in because Absolutely. you know when you take away the humor um then you literally are exposing your soul yes that's exactly right and and that's what he picked up on he said you're quick-witted and i i see i pick that up in other people now mm. too it's very common that we do it that we decide to you know even children in the classroom they'll decide to be the class clown because they don't want to be seen to maybe be struggling with the content or with learning or well, it's a deflection it isn't it that's right yeah because your vulnerability is you're so exposed mm. you know and we're often so frightened of you know what's the reflection we're going to get back if I expose who I truly am in this moment. Will I be liked? Yeah, will, will I, I be, be accepted? accepted? Boom. Boom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do I get an apple? <laughs> Top of the class. This is Chi Chat with, with Chiquita Searle. So we are here in studio, or I am here in studio, with relationship expert Emma Wynn, who has just shared how her experience on reality TV show The Single Wives has led her to become a men's and women's vulnerability coach. So, Emma, I want to explore connection to self. We did touch on a little bit mm. earlier because, and you also touched on during your story that you, that your early years were spent very much connected to the church and religion and breaking away from that and leaving your marriage at 25, so very young, mm. must have been not only incredibly difficult, but also quite eye-opening in terms of then being single for the first time in your life and having the opportunity to explore your own connection to self and also your own sexuality and desire. Mm. So how did you, firstly, how did you come to make such a huge decision to leave both your marriage and the church? Was there a catalyst which precipitated such a huge moment of clarity for you? I actually knew from very early on in the marriage that it wasn't right. It was. It's that... Now I know it was my intuition, but at the time I didn't have that language for it. Um, and I thought, well, I've committed, I've married the guy, so I'm going to give it all that I can. And it was very confusing because I I loved him, but I it's something my intuition knew that it just wasn't it wasn't a, a decision that was true to me. It was a decision I made based on the learnings and the teachings that I'd been given growing up, um, which is often what we do when we don't know who we truly are. We make decisions based on the values and beliefs of other people or other structures that we've been a part of. So I knew very early on that I'm not sure this is really right for me, but stay so how early on are we told? Oh, like on the honeymoon. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah, gosh. So yeah, really, really, really early. early. And you know what it was? Well, how did you feel on your actual wedding day walking down the aisle then? If you knew yeah. so quickly into the marriage, was there kind of any doubt at that point? It was – I think there was, but I ignored it. But I remember my wedding day mor – the morning of my wedding, I was in such a foul mood. Mm. I was grumpy. And I remember thinking to myself – getting ready with the girls, my bridesmaids, thinking to myself, I thought it would feel different to this. Yeah. I thought I didn't think this would be my How mood. How did you feel? You were grumpy, but were there I, any feelings of that, trepidation? Or? Not trepidation, but it, for me it was a very familiar feeling, which I now know is when your like, true self is at war with your ego, where you're, you're, you're sitting in your false self mm. and it doesn't feel right. It's like this misalignment within you and what the the emotion that comes with that is deep frustration. So I was frustrated at little things. I felt tired. I was I felt moody, um, and I, and the, but then like incredibly confused because I was a, I was only twenty as well, um, and I'd been I, I had you know my my youth particularly was very much heavily bathed in this idea that marrying a man you know in within the church is you know that's 
that's the goal. That's mm. you know that's because then you can sleep together and then you can start your life. It's this yeah, culture start a family. of yeah, and you, you know because before in the church you know you don't live together before you're married. Mm. You don't holiday together. So it's this concept of once we're married, our lives can start. Mm. So I knew, but the reason I knew on the honeymoon is because I just didn't want to have sex, and we hadn't slept together because we'd waited. You know, had had a purity ring and everything from the age of fourteen. So I was a virgin bride, and I just didn't. I just had no desire to sleep with him, and I thought. Mm. Again, I think this is meant to be slightly different. We were in Bora Bora in the most romantic bungalow hut over the ocean. It was just fantastic. So I started therapy very early on because, uh, again, I've always been very intrigued about what's, you know, why am I feeling like this? Um, and it got to, you know, four and a half years, five years into the marriage and I thought I it's, it, it's either I ignore my true self for the rest of my life and stay as his wife or I leave this marriage and I embrace who I truly am. And it got to the point where the cost of ignoring my true self was far too great. It was just too great. So I decided to leave. And I also I could sort of, at the time, I use the word justify at the time because you never need to justify it. But he deserved a wife who could really love him and show up for him. And I just knew that I couldn't be that person. So can you tell us about the period immediately after leaving your marriage in the church and what it was like as a new sing- newly single woman who was free to date and explore her own sexuality? So I started a relationship soon after my separation. Um, with someone else with in the church? Or? No, no, no. He had a similar upbringing to me, so he'd had an upbringing in the church but had, had peeled away from that religious structure. And it was the most healing space for me because he really saw me and really, um, really just got me and he held the space for me to really explore myself, explore my mind, explore sexually. Um, And so we were together for about two, two and a half years. And then so I really only hit the dating scene about maybe six months before we started filming The Single Wives. You're kidding. Yeah. So what was your, do you remember, did you you get on the apps post that relationship? Yes. So after that relationship, um, Bumble and Hinge weren't really a thing. Mm -hmm. It was more Tinder. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in the car park of Eastland Shopping Centre in Melbourne (laughs) with my best friend on the phone and I'd done my bio and my profile and I was so nervous to hit publish or go live or whatever it was. I'll never forget this moment because, and I had a feeling at the time that this was like a just a moment in my life. Um, and it's, it's sort of, you know, here we are three years later and I'm still on them. <laughs> Not so much on Tinder anymore, but <laughs> Bumble and Hinge, you know. <laughs> so um, so you mentioned um, of when we were talking, we were, I always have a chat to my guests before we come on the show, but you mentioned there is actually, and this was really intriguing to me, and obviously because I grew up in a household where my parents didn't believe in God. My right. my parent, well, my dad didn't really have an opinion, but my mum certainly mm. believed in angels and fairies and she mm-hmm. was always going to psychics and we were always yeah, very cool. interested in tarot and the spirituality side Beautiful. of things. So we had no... I actually remember in grade three coming to class um, on the Monday morning and every single other child in my grade or no my class had been to Sunday school and I was like what is this Sunday school you speak of (laughs) and I said to mum and dad I thought I was I had huge fear of missing out and I said to mum can I go to Sunday school and so I went and she's like sure and so I went to Sunday school the next week worst two hours of my life (laughs) and I will never go back and I said to mum I'm never going back (laughs) so I wasn't missing out on anything but yeah I just no concept of church whatsoever I think I've been in a church three times in my entire Mm. life but there's actually a culture of slut shaming within the Mm. church which seems that odds with their beliefs because there's no no sex before marriage which you adhere to you're a virgin bride so can you tell us how this slut shaming occurred for you specifically and how that made you feel as a young woman who was also a virgin and then a married woman who hadn't to that point lived in sin Mm, such a good question because it is a bit of a paradox isn't it um so 
really, this is how bad it is. It's really to the point of even if you are looking at another man or if you are expressing your desire for a man or, you know, as a teenager, you know, another boy at school or, um, you know, self-pleasure, masturbation, all of that, you are, it's considered impure. And so there's this culture around it of, and I remember there was one family in particular in the, in the church who would actually actively call me a slut because I had a boyfriend at the age of 14, 15. Again, we weren't sleeping together. And I mean, even if we were no no yeah, space to call to, for that you know um so it's wild because it's you it's not even around the idea of sleeping with multiple men or multiple you know, well yeah it's women who really get it's shaming sluts. for control isn't it it is yeah and it's just it's pure so then you have this really distorted view or this distorted experience of my desires like mm. oh my desires are wrong my mm. desires are impure my desires are evil and my guilt. desires and so much guilt and so much shame purely for simply having the feelings for someone Which else or expressing that totally natural and having a desire to connect or explore i remember one sunday there'd been you know communion and then they did this prayer time after communion and you could go up for prayer with certain leaders in the church if you wanted to and i did and i just did communion and went sat back down 14 i was at this time anyway our youth leader at the time pulled me up from she said oh we really want to pray for you about something and i was like oh okay well, this is okay so I stood there in a circle of like four other leaders in the church and at the time I had a crush on the year 12 school captain, you know, like what girl doesn't? Yes. Hello. He was gorgeous. He worked at the local supermarket, you know, Jason Davis, I'll never forget him. Um, and shout out Jason. <laughs> shout out Jason if you're listening. Um, I'm very single, Jason, still. <laughs> anyway, this this um, youth leader sort of said, you know, we really want to pray for you um, to release this obsession that you have with, with Jason and to ask for forgiveness and to cut the cord between you and him. And this is something that was, I was just a teenage girl who was a bit, you know, I'm a bit bubbly and girly and would talk about it in church with my girlfriends and everyone kind of knew Emma had this crush on Jason Davies. And I think back to that moment, I think, wow, that is so damaging to tell a young, vulnerable teenage girl that the way that she's feeling about a boy, these hormones, these emotions, these desires, these feelings she's got, that that needs to be, that's a soul tie that needs to be cut. This is the language that's used um, and something that she needs to ask for forgiveness for. So that's probably the best example I can give around, it's not even that you are having sex, it's that you simply express a desire to or a desire or an interest in the opposite sex. Golly gosh. Mm. So I just want to um, well, let's explore women and being in touch with their bodies because obviously that's something that you've had to explore yourself mm. since leaving the church and leave, trying to get over that guilt and shame that's been attached to that. So you've worked with many women now who don't seem to be in touch with their bodies. Can you explain to us what you mean by that and why you think that's the case? Mm, yes. See, this is the thing. Even though my experience was within the church, I feel like it's quite – it's broad because women seem to relate to this story even with no Christian sort of background background or upbringing. So for me, I had to it's I see it as removing layers you know we're removing layers of shame um, like I said earlier to get to who we truly and authentically are and so it started for me by literally being on the dating apps and and starting to do what I felt I wanted to do so like listening to myself and and if I feel like sleeping with this guy tonight I'm gonna do that or if I feel like not sleeping with him I, I'm also gonna engage in not doing that so it became first of all, 
listening to myself because and particularly as women we're not taught to do that we're not encouraged to do that it's no. it's not about listening to our true selves or getting in touch with our intuition it's about doing what's right what looks good what's going to please others you know particularly if we have a childhood wound that's that we exist for the needs of others we completely ignore our own selves so for me it started with literally just listening to that little whisper inside that is sometimes you know like go on the date or or basic things you know women I'm working with coaching who have this similar storyline I say things like basic basic whenever you need to go to the bathroom go to the bathroom don't wait Mm. just see like that so as you're starting to connect to your body and listening to the messages that your body is giving you as well in the moment rather than thinking oh I'm in a meeting and if I get up it's going to look rude or they're going to have to stop for five minutes or blah 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 you know so removing this idea of how they think of me is a direct representation of my worth, removing that and starting to actually sit in the space of this is what I feel is true for me in this moment. So I'm going to play with that, whether it's with a man or going to the bathroom in the middle of a meeting. Do you know what I mean? That's an excellent answer. And I think that we are conditioned from a young age to make ourselves as small as possible. And that's yes. a really excellent, because I've been in a meeting before with people needing to go to the toilet and I haven't excused myself to do that. And that's... Mm. I've never thought that of that in the context of, yeah, sitting mm. in my own power and going, well, yes. you know, my presence is important, my needs are important, and people can wait. That's right. And it gets you into this concept of listening to your body because our intuition sits in our body, not in our heads. So when you're starting to actually listen to the function of your body and actually get in touch just with, and this is why self-pleasure is so important mm. and so powerful as well, because you're actually getting in touch with these different parts of yourself that when you start listening to them, that's when you find your true power. So that's a really interesting because I want to actually talk about vulnerability because you work with people around vul- vulnerability and um I think there's a lot of people out there who struggle with vulnerability. I myself have struggled with it. Mm. And um, it's only been in the last 12 months where I've learned that it's actually a really powerful tool yeah. to connect with others and particularly even a, a romantic partner. So what is your definition of vulnerability in the context of dating? And how can women, women and men be vulnerable during this often very emotional process when all their insecurities are coming to the surface and all they want to do is run away? Mm, yes. Another very good with your questions, oh, Jean. This is great. My gosh. We could do this for hours. <laughs> well, I could anyway. <laughs> we may <laughs> be. Um, so this is such a comp- – there's a, there's a lot in, in this area, this topic. So Brene Brown describes vulnerability as and I love it I use this all the time when you express your truth in any given moment with absolutely no control of what the response is going to be back and being okay with that so oh God, just, it just gave like, me anxiety just listening to that it's intense right <laughs> yeah it's intense so this is why self-awareness is so important when it comes to dating and relationships because the dating and relationship platform will trigger the bejeebas mm. <laughs> out of you absolutely it so will. we will always attract into our life a situation that we need that is going to trigger the wound that needs more healing so i often work with women who will run in the context of the dating space very early on because so when you say run they'll leave because they start right. to feel uncomfortable they're uncertain they can't sit in the tension of it with their childhood wounds coming to the surface exactly yes and they'll so i used to self-sabotage so i would like push men's boundaries for them to call it you'd off po- you'd poke the bear yes poke mm. the bear step over their boundaries emotionally for them to then lose their mind and call it off and then i'd play victim of being mm. heartbroken um self-fulfilling prophecy type stuff mm-hmm. uh, uh, so when you are aware that you are 
you know, when something is triggered within you, whenever there's a negative feeling associated with an experience, it is simply a message that that's an area for you to work on. And when you can stay conscious and present in that space and have a conscious partner, and this is where it's so important for both parties to have self-awareness and to be conscious and to be aware of each other's triggers, that you can actually communicate it and stick in it and you know, ride the wave of the trigger and of being seen because a lot of the triggers for people is that we're just seen and the other person will point out to us the parts of ourselves we haven't yet accepted. This is the Chi Chat Podcast. So we are here in studio with Emma Wynn who is giving us some excellent insight into connection to self, vulnerability and we are going to explore some other variables between men and women soon but we do have a, a listener question that I'm going to throw at Emma now. Mm. So Emma, are you ready? Oh yes, I love this. Okay, <laughs> what are some strategies you use on a daily basis to stay in touch or to stay in your true self? Oh, that's fantastic. I love – that's a really good question because this lady, man who sent it in uh, – I'm going to go on a limb and I think it's a woman. woman yeah. Ha, just the way that she's worded it means that the world will constantly try and throw your false self at you. There's always – you feel like you're pushed back into your false self. So what I do every day without question is meditation. And the reason, and there's plenty of guided meditations on YouTube um, – because that quietens everything down. So the way we get to our true self is we quieten down the external noise. So you have to get really, this is a way to get in touch with yourself. Lots of breath work, doing lots of conscious deep breathing and also spending time just with yourself. So my coaching clients, I will often give them the task each week when we're working on this particular issue to go for a walk by themselves, no phone, so no podcast, no music in, no no phone call on, yeah, no distraction, just spending time with themselves with absolutely no distraction distraction and focusing on their breath so quietening down your thoughts and your mind because we want to get out of the mind and into the heart space it's like there's a trap door under our chin and you want to open that trap door and drop down into your heart space so meditation time on your own even if that's sitting at home just breathing not actually reading or having any kind of distraction um and being aware of your thoughts so your thoughts aren't your truth this is I'm not going to go into it because that's a whole other area. But even putting things or statements on post-it notes around your house about the things that you truly know about yourself that are true, that you know in your soul of souls is true. And the more that you read it, that becomes a script and the dialogue for your mind, which means you will then become that person. Well, you're creating a story essentially. That's exactly right. And then the emotions that you feel are a byproduct of that of story. That's right. And I think I learned something recently. Shout out to Laura. She said to me, because I was going through a little bit of uh, uncertainty with a, with a man, I was dating and she said to me what are the facts what are the mm. evidence mm. Um, and instead of creating the story which is based on my own insecurities and limiting beliefs what are the facts exactly stop creating the story because yes. that's going to send you into a downward spiral it's only going to feed your insanity it's going to feed your anxiety stop that's right and so what are the facts and because your mind will always look for evidence so Correct. dating scene if you're dating someone who behaves in a particular way that four guys ago mm. It happened and it ended in heartache. Your your subconscious mind is going to go, oh, my gosh, we've seen this before. This ends badly. I'll and just if, get out and now. And I'll get out now or yeah. I'll sabotage or I'll react. Mm. That's the moment you want to pause yes. and go just – it's happened. So my mind – because your ego is – your our mind is built for us to survive. It's Our ego is there to look for threat. Mm. So if something's hurt us in the past, the ego is going to go, oh, my gosh, it's happening again. But it actually takes a great deal of awareness. So much when awareness. you're in that moment oh and my you're gosh. spiraling and you're feeling that emotion, it's very, very real yes. to you. It feels so true. It takes a lot to go, okay, stop. Yes, to pause, stop, take, pause, a, deep take breath, a deep breath. 
Yes, acknowledge Look at the facts. Look at the evidence. What do you have? Take away the emotion. Yes. This has happened before. My ego. This is my ego at play. Mm. This is not, when I when I tell myself the truth story. and change the narrative, we get to choose the meaning we put on any situation Correct. in life ever. We yes. get to choose the meaning. So Anything what meaning only am I means it? what we mean it to mean. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, we had another listener. Oh, cool. Uh, message in. Okay, mm-hmm. so to vulnerability coach Emma, this is you. Mm-hmm. I did a search on women and I came across a web page that said 82% of women have low self-esteem. It mm. knocked me for six. That means four out of five women that come my way are in this boat. Mm. So I think this is a man. In my opinion, those 82% should not be dating. Thoughts. Whoa. So how long have we got? <laughs> Can you give me a one minute quick answer? Okay, so in my opinion, those women, so low self esteem. Okay, so this is where men don't, let's assume this is a bloke who's texting, mm-hmm. men don't want drama, they don't want clingy. If a woman's self esteem is coming from whether or not a man is going to accept her romantically, that's too much pressure for a man he's going to run. So my assumption is that maybe this bloke has had, if it is a guy, has had these experiences where women potentially cling mm-hmm. or become incredibly needy, or he 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 sets his boundary. Let's say can't do tomorrow night, babe. Um, house. Sunday instead, a woman sees that as rejection because she's putting her worth in his response mm-hmm. and the woman that will then launch emotionally and attack because she feels like she's not enough. Unhealthy position to be coming from. So, What's well, uh, a disempowered position? Very disempowered position. So I wouldn't say that these women, sh- women shouldn't be dating – but I think anyone on the dating scene, I think anyone on the planet, everyone on the planet needs to be doing their own inner work. I think everyone experiences low self-esteem at some yes. point. I think we all experience self-doubt at some Absolutely. point. So I think it's a little bit unfair to assume that someone shouldn't be dating because they are going. They have some um, self-esteem issues. I yes. think it's something we all uh, battle yes. with, especially in the dating scene, because it is emotionally really... You can become really emotionally um, invested invested quite quickly Absolutely. and it's going to bring all your insecurities up. So I think yes. that if that were the case, I mean... And can I just say that we attract who we are. Correct. So if, if we are constantly attracting people who are insecure, because believe you me, I've attracted men who are insecure, they're simply mirroring back to us what it is within ourselves we haven't yet integrated. So self-awareness on both parts is that if there's a pattern of people that you are attracting or dating or falling for that is annoying you, I don't know how much language I can use live on air. But is, <laughs> Just don't swear. Yeah, you know what I Cold mean. Be upset. <laughs> yeah. Then that's also, they're reflecting back to you a part of you that you haven't yet accepted. Mm, that is an excellent... Mm, food for thought. Food, food for, for thought. thought. Mm. I just want to explore that um, That uh, when you said clingy and needy. Yes. So can you tell us, because you talk about the feminine a lot and you believe that a woman's power is very much when she sits in her feminine energy, mm. but what is the difference then between setting in your feminine energy mm-hmm. versus the neediness and the clinginess that you're referring to? Yes. So when someone is, when a woman is, like I said earlier, expecting that their that their worth is coming from the behavior of a man or the acceptance of a man you're giving your power away because you're saying i will only feel this particular way if you behave in this particular way so when a woman can understand that our power lies in our ability to receive, in our ability to bring a cool energy. So the, the masculine energy is very hot. It's a hot energy. When a woman can come in to a, ma- a male, female, not because 
masculine energy, it's not gender-based, but let's just for argument's sake say the woman is the feminine and the male is the masculine. So if the woman can bring the cool, soothing energy, which is the patient, which is the vulnerable, which is the flow, the acceptance energy, that will cool down the strong, heavy, like the strong, um, you know, grounded, like masculine energy. It's yin yin and yang. It's night and day, you know, sun and moon type stuff. So I... As a woman who has worked very hard to remove, because I very much sat in my masculine, which meant I was polarizing on the dating scene because I was wanting to attract masculine men, but I was in my masculine. And so it repels. It Repel. doesn't work. It, it Masculine and feminine is when it comes together. So when I sit in my divine feminine and I know my worth and I know my truth and I've accepted myself... That means that I, that's where my power lies and that there goes the clingy. So I just want to um, move in a different direction now, Emma, because mm. you said something that when we were chatting um, before the show that really stuck with me. Mm. And it said, you said this, a man has to really trust and know himself for a woman to be able to trust him. So what did you mean by that? And can you give us kind of an everyday layman's example of what that would look like? Yes. So for a woman to open up to a man... So a man wants to please, a man wants to provide, a man wants to be the safe structure for his woman to fall and collapse into. But a woman won't trust that, let's use feminine masculine, the feminine won't trust that masculine unless he is able to hold his own emotions. So unless he's done his inner work, unless he's seen his wounds and his, you know, the areas that he needs to integrate and heal, and unless he can hold his emotions, so he's actually gotten in touch with them, the female won't express herself to them and this is what you will often see in relationships where there's a disconnect and the woman's like you know he doesn't listen he you know and but the man's like she's a waterfall of anxiety she's nagging <laughs> she's nagging me um so the way to build trust i often give this example is like men doing things like if a fe- if the fe- feminine asks the masculine in the relationship babe you know do you mind doing the lawns on the weekend and he doesn't do them she uses that as evidence that she can't trust him that he's not present that he's not listening that he's not following through so then what will often happen is the woman will react because she feels frustrated and she feels unseen and unheard and unprioritized and she will then nag the masculine right which that's not what that's that's going to make him shut down and close down even more so fellas <laughs> doing the basic things that's like I'll pick the kids up from school I'll I'll deal with dinner tonight or um if she's asked you to do something, following through with that on a subconscious level says to your lady, oh, my gosh, he can handle me. Oh, my gosh, he can handle this. Oh, my gosh, he's got me. Like, turn on. And she will then soften for you and she will then open. Does that make sense? It makes excellent sense. Mm. And that just leads me to my next question, actually, because men and women have very con- contrasting ways of emotional expression. So can you share with us what a man's emotional expression might look like, particularly if he's experiencing some stress? He'll go away. So is that the man cave? <laughs> That's the man cave. Okay, yeah. so tell us about the man cave. What does that look like? Yeah. So women, our our the feminine way to express is to to process is to express. So mm. we'll talk. Talk, talk, mm. talk, 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 talk. And we can do it in the moment. We mm. need to do it in the moment yes. to be able to process. Yep. Whereas blokes, if you think about early days, like caveman days, they had to hunt. They had one focus. That's that's what they were focusing on. That's what they were doing. So when we bring something up with our man, let's say it's an emotional conversation or it's a piece, it's a vulnerable moment or it's an issue within the relationship or within the family or whatnot, 
and he can't express himself in that moment, that can feel very frustrating to a woman. But all he's thinking is, how do I fix this? How how do I fix this? So one way to pre-frame your, your fella if you are wanting to have a conversation, you need him to listen, is to give tell him that's the task. Hey, babe, I just really need you to listen to I just really need to vent. Have you got some time to listen? And he then goes, yep, she needs me to listen. That's my job. That's what I've got to do here. For us to let our men go to the man cave and to understand that that's how they process, we process with our words. Our men will process in the cave. They'll go away for the weekend. They'll go to the shed. They'll go to work and not really talk to us for a few days or whatnot. They're not ignoring us. They're not being, again, beep, beep, beeps. <laughs> They're simply, that's how they process. Now, if they do their work in that man cave, they will come back stronger and they will be able to hold you in your emotional expression and actually have a conversation at that point. So understanding that when you bring something to a man, give him time to process that. You might have already processed it. Go talk to your girlfriends about it for the day or a couple of days and then give him time to come back. But this is where we need our men to understand both ways that women, we need to feel held and and seen. So go to your man cave, process, do your inner work and then come back like a strongly rooted tree in the ground for us to throw whatever it is that we need to throw at you emotionally to, to, to process and discuss. I probably have time for one more question before mm. we have to go to the news and Ratsanani will take over. But I just want to ask, so he goes to his man cave, he's meant to come back stronger, but what if he doesn't? Great question. So this is where, it's you know, we, no one can read each other's minds. So to say, to have the agreement even at the start of the relationship, and I was having this conversation with a girlfriend the other day to say, hey, babe, I know that sometimes you're going to need to go to the cave. Can you tell me when you're going to do that? Can you sort of say, yeah, cool, babe, I hear you. I just need a few days to myself. I'll call you on Saturday, right? Then if he – and tell him what you need. And then on Saturday, you know, we'll re-collaborate and we'll, let's go for coffee. Now, if he's consistently not doing that, you've got to ask yourself, why am I staying? That is a great – answer mm, and always comes you. back to self yeah exactly mm. does this make me feel good mm. so thank you so much for being with us today that Emma so that was amazing so how can our listeners get in touch with you Instagram is probably well there's Instagram Facebook both mm-hmm. Facebook Emma Wynn the mm-hmm. surname spelled W-Y-N-N-E yes and on Instagram it's at Emma Isabella so E-M-M-A-I-S-O-B-E-L-L-A or you can just type into the search bar Emma Wynn Coaching amazing thank you so much to Emma for thank being here for in studio me. with us and thank you for your company today this is the Cheat Chat Podcast